Okay, so we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so Paul tells us we're going to get new resurrected bodies at the resurrection. So the second question is, well, when do we receive it? How do we receive it? How is this all going to happen? And he answers that. We get a new body. We get to go to a new heaven, a new earth, new Jerusalem, new kingdom. There's no sickness, no illness, no death, no curse. It's going to be great. When will this happen? How will this happen? Well, verse 50, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So here's what he says. God is holy, we're unholy. God's eternal, we're mortal. God is the living God, we're dying people. That we are simply not built for heaven, so what God must do is take us sinful, frail, dying, broken, weak people, transform us so that we are living, healthy, holy people fit for his kingdom. He does that through death. He does that through Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection, which is prototypical of what is before us. Those of us who trust in Jesus, that's it. And let me state this as plainly as I can. This is all about Jesus. The problem is sin. The result is the curse. The effects are sickness and injury and frailty and death. And the answer is the resurrection of Jesus to conquer sin and death and sickness and illness and the curse and to undo all that has been done from Adam and Eve and their sons and daughters. And until there has been a transformation by Jesus of both, bo both our body and our world, then we are not fit for God's presence. We're not fit for God's kingdom, so God needs to do a miraculous work to transform us, thereby enabling us to be ready for the eternal state with him. The next question is obviously, when does this happen? Can we do that right now? How does that work? Verse 51, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, that is, die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Now, some of you who are into the study of last things, eschatology, there's a bit, big debate about the trumpet. What's a trumpet? Well, it's a, the trumpet sounds simply as this. It's the end of the age. It's the last thing. Do, 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 the big grand finale. The trumpet's going to be blown, and this is the sign that all things are coming to an end. The old world is passing away. The new world is coming. Jesus is coming again to take his rightful throne and rule and reign in the new heaven and new earth simultaneously. Jesus is coming. This is the heralding of the coming of the king. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable, that's us, with our frail bodies, must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul is saying. God is good. God has given us his law. The law is reflected, Romans teaches us, in two places, externally in Scripture, internally on our conscience. And what he says is this, that we are all lawbreakers and by definition we break the law. We know it in our conscience and heart. We are understanding of it when we read Scripture. You betcha it convicts us. We don't do what we're supposed to do, sin of omission. We do do what we're not supposed to do, sins of commission. We're all sinners. And why does that matter? Because sin results in death and because we're all sinners, we all die. And death now is a great foe. Do not, do not, do not believe those who would tell you that death is our friend. It's a natural life cycle. It's the way God intended things. It's to be embraced. It is not. It's an enemy. Death is not my friend. Heart attacks are not my friend. Heart attacks are enemies. And anything that kills my loved ones, that's my enemy. God is not into killing people. God is into life. As Christians, deep down, we see death as an enemy. We say God is the living God. God made the world good. God made us very good. Cancer is bad. It kills people. Illness is bad. It can kill people. Death is bad. Sickness is bad. Where did that come from? Well, it came from us joining Satan in the rebellion against God. Just like a virus getting into a body or a virus getting into a computer system, sin comes into human history and it infects and affects everything negatively, destroying it, leading to death. So we don't embrace death as a good thing. And the problem is that death is such a constant foe that it always wins. It doesn't matter what you do, and I know some of you are into naturopathy. Great, build up your immune system, watch your diet, exercise, take good care of yourself, steward the body that God has given you well. But it doesn't matter how well you take care of yourself, death still wins. You still die. It still gets a victory, and we all die. And the question is, well, how can we beat death? And the answer is there's only one person who ever has, and that's Jesus Christ. And only through Jesus can death be beaten, because only through Jesus can sin be defeated, and sin leads to death. See, Jesus lived without sin, and Jesus died for our sins, and Jesus rose to conquer death, which is our great enemy. So through Jesus there is the forgiveness of sins, and through Jesus there is the resurrection from death, so that... Then we who trust in Jesus have the opportunity to, like Jesus, we can mock death. Not see it as always winning, but see it as ultimately being defeated. For three days between Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, it looked like death won. But when Jesus rose, it showed that he conquered sin and death for us in his body. And subsequently, you and I will defeat death. We'll live forever in the world that we all long for, in the bodies that we all wish for, as a gift of God to those who trust in his Son, Jesus Christ. And the beauty of this is then we can say, 
Where, O death, is your victory? There will be a day when you mock your coffin. Where, O death, is your sting? Oh, it hurt for a while, but I don't hurt anymore, and I die. But I'm not dead anymore because of Jesus Christ alone. Sin and death and frailty and the effects of the curse and the evil is overcome. And I'm telling you this, it is only through Jesus Christ that this happens. Now, some will say, but there are many religions. Well, I understand, not one of which was founded by anyone who claimed to be God. Not one of which was founded by anyone who claimed to come down from heaven. Not one of which was founded by anyone who claimed they could forgive sin. Not one of which was founded by anyone who said they would die and rise to conquer sin and death. Only Jesus Christ made those claims and upon his resurrection Jesus validated all of his claims as God come down from heaven to forgive sin by triumphing over sin and death through the cross and the empty tomb. And so the answer is simply this. It is Jesus Christ. You are a sinner. This is a cursed world. You will die. The question is what then? Will you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Will you rise too? That you would get out of your grave and you would say, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? That you would celebrate the life that God has given you eternally in the new body, in the new heaven, in the new kingdom, restored back to God's original intentions of creation before sin ever entered the world. The question then comes, when does this happen? And how does this happen? And he says it happens in an instant. It happens immediately, instantaneously, quickly. We're not talking about a long evolutionary progress whereby medicine and genetics and the understanding of our DNA enables us to live forever. No. What he says is that Jesus Christ is coming back. This is the Christian's great hope. He's coming back. We don't know when. Could be today. Could be hundreds of years from now. We just don't know. But Jesus Christ is alive and well today. He rose from death. He proved it to witnesses. He ascended into heaven. He sits on a throne, ruling and reigning. And one day he will return. And when he does, in an instant, those who are dead will be called forth out of their grave. In some ways, like Jesus' friend Lazarus, who was dead, Jesus called his name and he came out. Those who sleep, Daniel 12 says, in the dust of the earth, multitudes will arise. We'll get up out of our graves at the second coming of Christ. And we'll get our glorified, resurrected, eternal, supernatural, not subject to curse, pain, sin, death, body. We'll receive that gift at that point. Our salvation will be fully realized. We'll be in our glorified state. We'll see Jesus Christ face to face. 1 Corinthians 13 says, We'll know him as we are known, and we'll have our eternity together forever with Jesus. New king, new kingdom, new bodies as God intended. He says that'll happen in an instant when Jesus returns. Those who are dead will get out of their grave. And the second question then is, he answers in this section, what about those who are alive at the second coming of Jesus? Well, they get transformed too in an instant. You don't need to die to get an eternal glorified body. So think of it this way. You're at home on the treadmill. You're running and running and running and running trying to beat the curse. I'm going to live forever. Jesus comes back, boom. 
glorified body, get off the treadmill, walk to Tim's, get a donut, worship Jesus all day. That's the way it works. In an instant, that's the way it works. So how many of you, I've got your hopes up and you're looking forward to God's good eternal kingdom. You're looking forward to your new body eternal state. That world without sickness and poverty and disease, without starvation, without viruses, without terrorism, without fear, where there will be no funerals and where there will be no doctors and where there will be no sickness and where there will be no Kleenex and where there will be no medicine cabinets. That world is the kingdom of God and that world is coming with Jesus Christ, our King. And the question is, well, as we long for that day, as we wait for that day, as we yearn for that day, and I hope your hearts yearn for that day, the question is, what do we do with the days between now and the day when we see Jesus Christ face to face upon his return? And Paul concludes his words to his church that are likewise applicable to us in verse 38, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, those of you who are here today, dearly loved of God, dearly loved by us, dearly loved, stand firm. All of you, brothers and sisters, stand firm and let nothing move you. See, it's when you get sick that you can start to doubt the goodness of God. It's when you become injured that, and your life is altogether disrupted that you can doubt the goodness of God. It is when those that you love most dearly are suffering that you can doubt the goodness of God. It is when those who you love most deeply are dying that you can begin to doubt the goodness of God. And it is perhaps even as you face the imminency of your own death that you have the tendency, perhaps some of you, to start to doubt the goodness of God. To say, God, why does this happen? Why am I sick? Why are they sick? Why am I dying? Why are they dying? God, why don't, why don't they have health? And why don't I have health? God, I thought you were a good God. I thought you loved me. I thought by your stripes I was healed. I thought by your stripes we were all healed. I thought you had good things for, for your children. Where is my good father? And Paul simply says, stand firm and let nothing move you, including the car wreck, including the injury, including the sickness that won't go away, including the disease, including the cancer, including the heart attack that came at an untimely time, including the funeral of a loved one. Let nothing move you. Stand firm in what you've been taught and what you believe. You need the Lord the most when you are hurting and others need the Lord the most when they are hurting. And we do not have a God who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness. Nah, nah, Hebrew says, he's been there. He's suffered. He's died. He's gone through suffering and death to resurrection, and we need to trust him until we see him, not doubting him until we do. What should we do then with our days? As we remain as faithful people awaiting the second coming of Jesus, trusting in our own resurrection? Paul concludes with this statement, always give yourselves fully, 
wholeheartedly, devotedly to the work of the Lord, to ministry, to the service of Jesus. We're all in full-time ministry, whether you know it or not. Who are you serving? Who are you working for? Let it be the Lord, the God of your salvation. Because you know, constantly reminding yourself assuredly, that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. What that means is this, that so many of us need to acknowledge that our ministry comes out of our weakness, not out of our strength, out of our pain, not out of our health. For those of you who have suffered the loss of a loved one, Corinthians says you can comfort others with the comfort you received. For those of you who have miscarried and you've tasted death in your own womb, you may have a new baby to take care of in heaven. You have the opportunity to speak of the hope and the resurrection of Jesus Christ for all those who love and belong to him. For those of you who struggle with constant, ongoing, chronic pain and sickness, for those of you whose bodies are not functioning well, and it leads to mental problems and difficulty with your memory and difficulty with your clarity, you need to understand that there is a resurrection body awaiting for you, and there is more to this life. And as Jesus prayed, there is a kingdom coming where the will of the Father is done, and nothing else is done but the will of the Father. Think about that. And then you should be able to take the hope that you have, because as Christians, we do suffer just like everyone else, but we suffer in hope, knowing that there is life beyond this life. That one day this shell and its frailty and imperfections and dishonors will go away, and it will be replaced with a brand new body in an eternal state in a brand new world that doesn't have sin and death and the curse and sickness and evil and injustice and tyranny, just the Lord and his people and life and love forever. And we take that hope and we share that hope with people, especially those who are in pain, especially those who are suffering, especially those who are dying, so that they too will have hope. And what he says is that this is not in vain that this is exactly what is needed. That we need to comfort others with the comfort we receive. We need to share the hope we have with others who have no hope or misdirected hope. We need to comfort those who are hurting. And we need to be able to explain to them in a loving and winsome way that we know why it is the way that it is. We know why the world is the way that it is simply because of sin, not because of God. And one day the world that we long for will be here when the Lord Jesus returns. And the only way to taste that world and to enjoy that place is to humbly repent of sin and trust in him. And so today we would simply say this, the work of the Lord is not ever in vain. There is no hope, there is no life, there's no forgiveness, there's no healing, there's no eternity, there's no heaven apart 
from Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. It's all Jesus. It's only Jesus. So spend the rest of your life following Jesus. And one day, you will see him in your glorified body. And you will see the kingdom that he has prepared for you. See, we're all going to die at different points. But we'll all rise in the same instant. There will be a day when all of God's children, Old Testament, New Testament, all the nations, the tribes, tongues, languages, cultures, and peoples of the earth who love Jesus and long for his coming, when he returns, we will all rise together in an instant in our glorified bodies. We'll be together forever with Jesus. And so we'll sing and we'll celebrate. Why? Because Jesus is alive. Because this life is not the only reality. Because we are pilgrims and sojourners. We are passing through. Doing ministry that is not in vain. In the moments that God would give us in frail, sick body. Waiting for the kingdom of God and the coming of our resurrection. What a day that will be. Amen. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that sometimes I feel sick. Sometimes I feel horrible. Because it reminds me that this earth is not my home, that this body is not my home. It reminds me that the world you made is not supposed to be like this and that my sin has ruined everything. And I thank you of all the many important things you could be doing. You come and you live in this frail, mortal body, humbly suffering and being hungry and tired and cold, seeing the death of those you love, weeping at funerals, and ultimately suffering and dying yourself. And I thank you Though it looked like death defeated you and had a victory over you, three days later you rose in triumphant victory. You conquered sin and you conquered death and you conquered the curse and you took away disease and sickness and all that. And I thank you, Jesus, that you're alive and you're well today. You've gone before us to prepare a place for us, an eternal place. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would trust in you alone, that we would not be moved when hardships come our way, that we would give our lives to the work of the kingdom, serving others, loving others, particularly those who are sick and dying and hurting. We pray that you would never allow us to turn our back on you in our moments of deepest pain and deepest frustration, but instead to run to you, knowing that you are a good God and that the evils of this world are not from your hand. But you are the one who triumphs over them through the cross and the empty tomb, and we love you for that. We long for the day when we will see you face to face. I can, can hardly wait. In the meantime... Let us give ourselves wholeheartedly to the work of the ministry, knowing that our labor is not in vain. So we sing to you, remembering 
remembering you till one day we see you face to face in the glorified state as we rise together with all your children to sing your praises in that great party at the end of time. We long for that day, dear Jesus. Amen.